Hello and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today I'm speaking with Gitti Danishvari, who's launching a new middle grade series this fall with The League of Unexceptional Children. She's also the author of the School of Fear series, as well as several books in the Monster High franchise. The League of Unexceptional Children will be published in October by Little Brown, which is sponsoring this podcast. The League of Unexceptional Children introduces 12-year-olds Jonathan and Shelley, who are ordinary in every way. And it's that very averageness that attracts the attention of the League, a secret decades-old organization of spies that are responsible for protecting the highest levels of government. No one is more surprised than the children themselves. I'm not qualified to serve our country, Jonathan tells one of the League spies, but I'd be happy to make sandwiches for the people who do. My bologna and cheese is acceptable. But sandwich talents aside, Jonathan and Shelley are pulled into a caper with the future of the United States itself at stake. Gitti, thank you for speaking with me. Thank you guys for having me. So how much of the original idea for this series was kind of born out of the idea of the contemporary pressures that are often put on kids to uh, excel? You know, to be honest, the idea actually came from an incident in my childhood that I remembered. Basically, what happened was I had an event for School of Fear 2 on Long Island, and I went to the event, I took the train, and I went there, and it was like at 7 p.m., and no one showed up, like not one person. So I like trolled the halls, found one woman, convinced her to buy two books for her nieces, and I got back on the train, and I was like, oh, I've never felt like such a loser before. And then I was like, actually, I have. And I remembered what happened when I was 10, and they came into our school to test us for the Talented and Gifted program. And, uh, you know, they interviewed us and we took this test and of 25 kids in my class, something like 20 were chosen to be part of the talented and gifted organization. And I was one of the five that was not chosen. And I, of course, was devastated and like went home and told my mother that I was going to have to work at the mall food court because that's where I thought people went to work when they had no talent, um, which may or may not be true. I don't know. Hmm. Um, and so I remember that story. And then the title just popped into my head, The League of Unexceptional Children. And then sort of at the time I was living in New York City, which I think of as like the mecca of like helicopter parenting and also like preparing your children in, in every possible way, giving them every possible advantage. And so the, the two sort of just kind of came together. And I definitely now think of it as sort of like the anti-Tiger Mom, because I think that, you know, I, I think there's so much pressure to, to be exceptional and to figure out what you're good at before you even hit double digits. There's this sense that if you're not like born with an, you know, with a gift that you're, you're behind or that if you, you know, are unable to hone a skill, you know, before you turn 11, you know, it's over for you. And so anyway, so this book is just sort of celebrating, uh, you know, giving kids the opportunity to take their time and figure out what they like and then let them work really hard to become better at it. Because that's what most of us have to do. Very few of us are, are born, you know, with an incredible gift for math or for sport or for, you know, so that's the sort of long roundabout way of saying that, yes, you know, it was a response to, you know, the pressure today to create the perfect child. But also it was sort of born out of this story of, um, you know, of just feeling, you know, that my life was over at a very young age because I hadn't been accepted into the talented and gifted program. Mm-hmm. It's funny that, um, that 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 event you described was for the uh, School of Fear series only because it sounds like that is probably right up there with one of those like top <laughs> top author fears. Like you could have had that fear in the book with an author character. Oh, no, absolutely. But, you know, the thing is that I, I think that you everyone has an event of some sort at, where no one comes and you get used to it. I mean, after that, like I had 
other events where people didn't come, but it, it doesn't hurt you this time. You're like, oh, forget it. And you also learn not to schedule events for like 10 year olds at 7 p.m. on a Wednesday. But, you know, at the time it was my first one and I was like, oh, man, I almost bought my own books just to try to up the number. Like, Little Brown, I sold four copies, but, you know, I didn't just out of, you know, personal pride. I was like, don't do that. It's embarrassing. And uh, instead I went on the train and remembered feeling like a loser as a child. And, and actually, look, look what came from it. So it, was, it all turned out for the best. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, beyond those, those real world, world pressures, you know, like you mentioned in New York, I feel like you have to be thinking about your child's preschooling before the child has even been conceived. But there's also that, that same tendency toward focusing on excellence in fiction sometimes where the hero or heroine uh, discovers that prophecies or genetic mutations or magical powers have primed them to become, you know, mankind's next savior. Was it nice to be able to sort of react against that and kind of well, set yourself up against that a little? You know, I think there's something wonderful about reading a book about a child that has this incredible gift and, you know, they're one in a million, but that's not very relatable. And so for me, what I thought was really exciting was to have characters that were relatable, but they were in these situations that were extraordinary. And so in that sense, it was still aspirational because kids would love to pretend to be spies, but it, it's a little bit more tangible and approachable because they're just like everyday kids. That's actually why they've been chosen to be spies because the average kids, you know, spend their days reintroducing themselves to kids they've known since kindergarten. You know, teachers always think it's their first day. You know, they enter a room, they leave a room, no one notices. So actually their averageness is what makes them the ideal spy. And so um, for me, it was really fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the story of, you know, I love a Harry Potter, you know, you know, the one who's been given this gift. But I also think the market has is saturated with stories of, of exceptional, extraordinary children. And so I think it's time we celebrate, you know, the ordinary child. <laughs> and can you talk a little bit about, I guess, how these two particular characters, uh, Jonathan and Shelley, sort of started to uh, develop for you? Well, you know, it was funny because I, I you know, when I wrote School of Fear, it was all, I gave each of the characters a fear that I had as a child. And so they started off as extensions of me. And then with each draft, they 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 took on sort of a voice and a life of their own. And it was a very similar process with Jonathan and Shelley, but it wasn't as clean cut as like, I'm giving this one, you know, this fear. So it started just sort of like versions of my personality when I was a kid and how I sort of combated feeling like I wasn't special. And so Shelley is someone who loves to, you know, weave like a great tale and exaggerate to the point where it's actually lying. And I definitely had those tendencies as a kid, not at school because I didn't want to be known as, a, you know, as the local lunatic. But at home, I definitely had that tendency to sort of weave these like extraordinary tales to my parents and my sister that were clearly not true. And then with Jonathan, he is very pragmatic. He's a bit of a pessimist. And I also had that side of my personality. It was like, oh, what's the point? It's not going to happen. And so they both sort of started off with that. And then, you know, for me, it's like I always do the same thing when I'm creating characters, which is that I write dialogue for scenes that are never going to be in the book. They're almost like Seinfeld moments, just sort of talking about nonsense. Because in doing that, I'm somehow able to figure out who they are and how they how they would react in a situation. And then they become, I don't know, they take on a voice in my head and they become an individual, you know, totally separate from me. And that's always my process. Obviously, with Monster High, it was different because it was, it's a pre-existing brand. But for School of Fear and League, I spent a lot of time just sort of having them like kind of just basically engaging in chit chat with each other to figure out really who they who they were. And again, those scenes obviously don't make for you know riveting reads, so I they're they're not in the book. But that's that was my process. And so, you know, your previous books, you know, like you said, monsters, fears, kind of creepy things are sort of present in them. Are spycraft and subterfuge and things like that also been things you've been, like, maybe had a longstanding interest in? No, but, you know, I, 
the 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 thing about Le- the League of Unexceptional Children is the League itself is sort of a throwback. It's like they don't use modern technology because Hammett Humphreys, who is the head of League, says, you know, the only surefire way not to let your computer be hacked is not to have one. And so everything is very old school and it's a little bit like a throwback to like a noir film. And uh, not that I expect the readers to get that, but that was sort of my my own um, my own sort of like the feeling that I created for this world. And so I definitely always loved like old, you know, detective movies and sort of crime capers. But I, I, I love spy films, but I do like more of the, of sort of like the old, the older ones. Cause I feel like sometimes with, with modern technology, everything becomes so easy that it almost doesn't feel like a, a struggle. So I definitely enjoy that. But this is the first time I've, I've ever um, written about any kind of espionage. School mm-hmm. of Fear was really focused on an adventure and there was a twist, but there was definitely no, um, there was, there was, there was no uh, spying or, you know, mm-hmm. secret agent work. And, uh, you know, in this book, you also have uh, what almost feel like anti-motivational uh, quotes from kids, uh, <laughs> you know, scattered throughout. One of them reads, uh, sometimes I think my dog's judging me. He looks at me like even I could have done better on that test. That seems like that would have been a, an extremely fun element. Uh, was that something that you added late in the game? Is that something you knew you wanted? No, I actually created that when I was doing the outline for the book. I, I think that there's something really fun about creating like chapter headings. So for School of Fear, it was I used phobia definitions, and I want and I kept trying to figure out what is you know I was like, do I want to you know do you know spy lingo? And I thought, oh, it's kind of you know been there, done that. And then I just thought of a line for for Jonathan to say, and, and I thought, wouldn't that be just a great way to start a chapter? So actually, when I outlined the book, I wrote something like 35 different uh, quotes from you know from obviously supposed to be from different children, and then I just as I was writing, I, I sort of like I came up with a few more I edited and then I you know broke it down to the ones that were my were my favorites I loved doing that because it also allowed me to 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 just sort of like have fun and um and also go back to you know what it feels like to be 10 and and that sensation that it was working out for everyone else except for you and so I just had a really good time with with the quotes I mean, in general, it seems like it would have been a very fun book to write. Uh, do you feel like maybe you might even be exceptional, dare I say, when it comes to maybe self-deprecating humor or humor at the expense of the, the unexceptional? Do you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. And even if I were exceptional or something, I, I would never feel comfortable saying that because it feels so out of character. I can say that I had a really great time writing this book. And I also think that, you know, weirdly, as I was writing it, I was able to connect a lot with, I just had my first child four months ago, but I was, but prior to that, I was never really able to connect with parents a lot when they would talk about their children's schooling and this sort of intense, you know, madness about getting them into the right preschool and all of that. But in writing this book, I was finally able to find a common ground where I could actually engage in those conversations and have sympathy for them. Whereas before I always thought, oh my God, this is is madness. But I understood finally in writing the book that it comes from this place of wanting to create like a completely safe space for your child and so that they're infallible. And of course, that's impossible. So I I did have a lot of fun and I also felt like I was able to finally relate to very ambitious parents. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I know that you've written uh, an adult novel in the past, but most of your published work has has been for middle grade readers. Uh, Why do you think you've ended up gravitating toward that audience? It was a total surprise. So I wrote a I wrote a book for adults, which only people that are blood related to me read. And while I was writing that, my mother convinced me to read Harry Potter because I've always been very anti magic and fantasy. And I, I I finally acquiesced, and I like became obsessed with Harry Potter. And I then I suddenly you know started thinking about children's stories. And I really at the time thought that it would be like a, a one off project. But what I found in writing middle grade is that 
it's like, for me, it's like this perfect sweet spot because it's right when kids are like, they know who they are, but they, they don't really have that much independence yet. They're just sort of starting to have moments of autonomy, you know, and it's an, it's an exciting time. Like it's an exciting change, but it's also, and they can have crushes and feelings, but it's before, you know, what I consider all like the sexy non-sex of, you know, that you see in like Twilight and other books that for me, isn't terribly interesting to write. Not that there's anything, I mean, obviously it's fantastic and everyone loves it. It's just not, um, it's not a place that I'm super, um, excited to, to go to. I sound like a puritan when I say it. That's not how I mean it. I just mean that it, it isn't an area that I'm drawn to. But so for me, middle grade, I just think it's exciting because I feel like they're on the cusp of really, I don't know, having independence. And so it's like the start of this really exciting chapter. Are you still hearing regularly from readers who are finding their way just now to the Monster High or School of Fear books? Yeah, I get I get most of my mail is still for School of Fear, which I love. And, um, and you know, it's been it's it's done really well in the Scholastic Book Fair. And so I get a lot of um, letters from children that are writing for a school project. And I love it. I love reading about that. And I love doing I, reading from hearing from children rather. And I also really love doing school visits and, you know, having kids tell me what their fears are. And, you know, it's always something like not what you would expect when you first see the kid. And so I don't know. I just I, I personally I love getting the feedback from kids and the fact that they're still reading School of Fear is for me it's fantastic it really makes me quite happy mm-hmm. and what are what are you working on now are, are you already at work on future books in this series I am at work on book two in in uh, the League of Unexceptional Children where they head over to England they're on loan to MI5 and I have to say it's it, it's it's a lot of fun and and there's a lot to play with sort of in England and with the teenage spies you know working for MI5 and I'm having a, I'm, I'm having a good time with it but of course like everything I am you know behind on my deadline. I've never, I don't think I've ever uh, been been like ahead of a deadline in my entire writing career, but that's going to be my goal for book three is to turn it in a month early just to shock everyone at Little Brown. <laughs> Very good. And are, is there anything else you're sort of contemplating or working on at the same time? Yes, I have a, a, like a YA, um, a YA series that I've started outlining, and but I've put on hold because I don't want to um, distract myself <laughs> while I'm behind on League. I feel that I must put all of my attention to this book. Um, I sort of think of it as a prince. It's like sort of set in a, a princess bride type world, and this would be the first YA book I've done, and so I'm I'm excited by that. And and even though I'm not like I said earlier particularly drawn to sort of the romantic part of it. I also sort of think the fact that I'm a little bit nervous about writing that is in its own way quite exciting. It gives me an opportunity to really go out of my comfort zone and, um, and well, hopefully see if I can be successful at it. Great. And uh, finally, did I see that there were some, uh, some promotional bumper stickers out there for the series? I'm obsessed with these bumper stickers. I only wish I had a car to put the bumper stickers on. Um, yeah, they're amazing. Little Brown came up with these bumper stickers that uh, proud parent of an uh, unexceptional child. And the other one says unexceptional and unashamed. And I think they're both just brilliant and really funny. And I would, if I didn't think I would get arrested, I would like to just put them on the bumpers of, you know, of cars at, at local schools because I think it would be just so funny because I think... Obviously, we all grew up with with parents, you know, driving around with, you know, proud parent of an honor student at Franklin Elementary. And uh, I mean, obviously, my parents didn't have that bumper sticker for me. But um, but anyway, it's just a really fun play on those bumper stickers. Yeah, I think you need to head right to uh, to Park Slope in the Upper West Side and get get out there <laughs> handing them out. <laughs> I agree. Or just, you know, or just, you know, vandalizing, just putting them all over, you know, all over the streets. Absolutely. That will, that's, that will be my next project. Uh, well, congratulations again on the new book. And uh, thanks for speaking with me. 
thank you guys so much for having me. I really, I really appreciate it. Once again, I've been speaking with Kitty Danishvari, whose new book is The League of Unexceptional Children, out in October from Little Brown. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast. Cast. 